Hopefully I can remember it. Ready to be It's like my grandmother now. Everybody in the place but the person I'm talking to. Trent, thank you. Too long ago I turned 48 Life's great But someone asked me if I was feeling kind of sad Or was mad That life had come and gone so very quickly And middle age that arrived to come and kick me But I just shook my head and said oh no I'm just one more day Closer to going home To see my Lord on His throne Surrounded by His angels and saints To sing His praise night and day Growing all reminds me that I should be going home Ask me if I'm bothered because I lost my hair I don't care My ears don't hear and my eyes don't even see a thing But I sing Because these things remind me of what's approaching When I will be released from all my suffering I don't mind the loss all these things Cause I'm just one more day Closer to going home To see my Lord on His throne Surrounded by His angels and saints To sing His praise night and day Growing all reminds me that I should be going home I don't mind growing older because I have received eternal life Oh, now I don't mind growing older For the Lord will soon come and take His wife Yeah, I'm just one more day Closer to going home To see my Lord on His throne Surrounded by His angels and saints Sing His praise night and day Now it all reminds me that Soon be going home I'll soon be going home Oh, now I'll soon be going home Oh, now I'll soon Hey, good evening. Whoa. Okay. Hello? Good. Thank you, Trent. And thank you, uh, Garrett. I was going to say Keaton again. That was Garrett on the bongos. <laughs> All right. Uh, should be at, uh, good to see Ed and Diana back. They were back from their... Uh, were you guys in Waikiki or no? You're in Florida, right? Was that work? Was that a work release program or no? <laughs> What what was that? Work your work and and see see you had to work. Okay, that's too bad. Were you working on anybody's pacemaker down there or something? Oh, so you were. So he was working, breaking his back to earn his day of living. Good job. All right, you get it going. All right, uh, Romans fifteen seven. Ten, uh, Titus and Jody. Titus has got. Uh, they went to a uh, uh, to Tyler's. Um, he has this kind of, Tyler was coming up to me, I guess they have to do presentations on South America, so I guess, it sounds like you're at a, a uh, 
like a show or something, like you're at a car show. Everybody has their, or those, you know, those, uh, what do you call it, uh, when you did the, uh, the hot tubs. Everybody had their own booths. Well, I guess the kids had their own booth, and they got to sp- speak on something about, like, he's doing Uruguay or something, I don't know, or something on South America. So you can go to different booths, and each kid has his own little shtick that he does. So I thought that was pretty funny. So Ty, uh, Trent uh, said, hey, I'll, I'll take care of it so you can go to it. Because he wasn't planning on going to it. Jody was just going to go to it. So I was like, and then, I, you know, then so uh, Trent uh, popped in and uh, st- uh, sat in for him. So that's great. Thanks for taking that uh, tonight, the uh, sound, Trent. And, uh, all right, Keith, could you turn your Bibles to uh, Romans chapter 15, verse 7. Romans 15, 7. All right, uh, we're going to uh, finish off verse 9 this evening of Romans chapter 15, which actually verses 8 and 9 go together. It's kind of interesting how, I just think it's kind of cool how uh, everything we learned in Genesis is really paying off in Romans. And uh, we saw in Romans 15, verses 8 and 9, Paul to try to um, uh, to uh, remind uh, and uh, encourage the uh, the weak and the strong in Rome who were Jewish primarily and Gentile primarily respectively, to, to welcome each other into each other's fellowship, to get along, continue to get along, because the Romans were already doing this. And then he uses, you know, he talks about God's purpose was to include both Jew and Gentile, uh, not only Jew, uh, Jew in the plan of salvation, but Gentile as well. I just think it's really cool the way Paul did it. He's talking about a situation that he was dealing with in, in uh, he was addressing in Rome. They were already doing these things that Paul asked in the epistle. He says that in Romans 15, 14, and 15. Romans 16, 19, he says, I'll rejoice over your perfect obedience. So he knew about them. He had reports about them. And so it's just kind of cool that he, he's finishing off his dis- discussion about the weak and the strong in Rome and how they're to uh, not condemn each other for the, each other's convictions, but to get along and welcome each other, have fellowship with each other, and the stronger to operate in love toward the weak. And then he, to, to bring this, to tie it all up, he, he, set, he reminds them that, you know, it's just masterful what he does here. Of course, under the Holy Spirit, that's, that's what happens. But, you know, he, he's, telling, he's telling the Jewish believers who are primarily, those who were weak are primarily Jewish because they, they were the ones that thought you had to be under the law. And so the strong were the primarily Gentile because they weren't under the law. And uh, so we see that he's reminding this weaker believer, who are primarily Jewish, that... God has included the Gentiles in, in his plan of salvation. And it's in your Old Testament scriptures. And then at the same time, he's doing that, he's reminding the strong, who are primarily Gentile, that, you know, you, your salvation, and he's echoing what he said we saw in Romans 11, your salvation is dependent upon the Jews. Because, you know, Christ fulfilled the promises that God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and David, and Jeremiah. They're all Jews. So... This is another reminder that anti-Semitism, of course, is, is satanic and that our so great salvation is based upon the Jewish scriptures, based upon a Jew, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. So it's absolutely ridiculous for Gentile believers to have, um, have any kind of anti-Semitic uh, sentiment toward the, uh, the Jewish people. So uh, I just think it's really great how Paul deals with this situation and with scripture. And we're going to see this evening... We're going to study Romans, uh, finish off Romans 15, 9, and he's going to go to cite Old Testament passages of Scripture. He's going to go on a, a string of them here. And verses 9, 10, 11, and 12, he quotes Old Testament Scriptures, and he does it from each different section of the, the, the Jewish Scriptures, the Old Testament. The law, the prophets, and the writings. There was a threefold division that they had it under. And so he quotes from each one of them to, to, to remind those Jewish believers that the Gentiles are included in the plan of salvation. And as I brought up last evening, and I brought it up many times, you know, that in the first century, the Jews had a, a racial bigotry toward the Gentiles. We don't really understand it because, you know, we're, we're 21 centuries away from that. So there was a big problem in, uh, uh, among the Jews toward the Gentiles, and so Paul had to deal with that in the first century. And uh, so this is... Um, what it helps us in the first, in, here in the 21st century is great because it, t- it teaches us uh, what God's doing in the world today. And as, I, as we're going to start to see as we go further in chapter 15, especially we'll see it in verses 14 through 21, 
that this particular chapter is really a call to evangelism. Paul's going to relate his attitude toward the Jew and Gentiles of the world, the unsaved of the world, that, you know, we're here to evangelize them, to give them the gospel, because God has a plan that he wants to be worshipped and he wants his son to be worshipped by both Jewish and Gentile believers. And he's forming a new man, as we saw, a new humanity through Christ. That's taught in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 21. We touched on that last evening. So a lot of cool things uh, to come here in Romans 15. And without further ado, let's take that moment of silent prayer. And for those, this, uh, the, following, the next couple of uh, moments are addressed to those who are new to the ministry. You guys in the chapel all, all been here. But those people who might be visiting our website, we have a lot of people who hit our website. We have no idea exactly who these individuals are unless they identify themselves as people who drop in on PalTalk a lot of times that are strangers to the ministry. So what I'm about to say is for them. And uh, we take this next few moments of silent prayer to prepare ourselves to hear what the Spirit's going to say to us through the teaching of the Word of God. And that involves applying 1 John 1.9, which states, If we confess our sins to the Father... He, God the Father, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins with the result that he purifies us from each and every wrongdoing. That restores you to fellowship. Sin never, As a believer, sin never knocks you out of God's family, but it does knock you out of fellowship. Therefore, we need to confess the sin. Now, there are those out there, like uh, I've heard in the, out there in the, in, in the last uh, several months, that say, well, geez, you know, Paul uh, never said uh, used 1 John 1, 9. Well, that's why, because Paul used different terminology, just like I use different terminology from different Bible teachers. He called the confession of sin in 1 Corinthians 11, judging the body rightly. He actually calls it uh, putting off the old man in Ephesians chapter 4 and Colossians chapter 3. Putting off the old man talks about uh, uh, confessing your sin and not living in the sin nature. So Paul taught this. Everybody, the Old Testament scriptures teach the confession of sin. Once you've been restored to fellowship through the confession of sin, what happens now is you need to maintain that fellowship. And that means you have to exercise your volition and you have to obey what the Spirit says to us in the Word of God. That's when you're being filled with the Spirit commanded of us in Ephesians 5.18. So when you're obeying the Word of God, you're obeying the Spirit and vice versa. And as we saw in Colossians 3.16 and Ephesians 5.18, the result of obeying those commands, letting the word of Christ ritually dwell in your soul, Colossians 3.16, being filled with the Spirit, Ephesians 5.18. When you obey those commands, they bear the same results. And so uh, this is a very, very important time. You can understand the word of God academically, but you can't understand the spiritual language that it is because it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. So God gave you the Holy Spirit to indwell your soul forever so that you could understand the, his, his things his, 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 his will, purpose, and plan for your life to learn about his character and nature. That's why he gave, one of the reasons why he gave you the spirit. So with that in mind, if there's anything disturbing or distracting to you, do what First Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxieties upon the Lord because he cares for you. So in the privacy of our very own royal priesthood, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we can gather together today and to study your word, to worship you and your son, Jesus Christ, through the power of the Spirit. We thank you, Father, for those who have ventured in here this evening, that are in the chapel, and those who might be listening on Pal Talk at this time, and will be viewing or seeing or listening to the classes at a later date, uh, whether it's uh, at the website or through CDs. Uh, We thank you for each and every one of them that have taken time out from their days, from their families, their jobs, their businesses, their trials and tribulations. And we just thank you, Father, for them. And we just uh, pray for our congregation, Father. We lift up our congregation that all of us would grow in love toward you and each other by means of an experiential knowledge of your Son. And we just pray, Father, that uh, 
you would uh, continue to give us enlightenment and understanding through the scriptures and the spirit as to the great power and love that has been directed toward us through our union with your son, Jesus Christ, so that we might experience this victory now in time by appropriating by faith what you've done for us through your son. We've crucified, died, buried, raised, and seated with your son. Help us to understand the implications of these things so we can experience this victory over sin and the devil and his cosmic system. And we lift up those in our ministry that might be having problems and difficulties with their health. We uh, pray, Father, for uh, Don McKinney and his uh, visit to the doctor tomorrow. And we just pray, Father, for him, that you give him encouragement and uh, that you would give him healing and that you would uh, also give the doctors and nurses wisdom treating him. We also uh, pray for other individuals in our ministry that we don't know that might be suffering. And we just uh, lift them up and give them encouragement and reveal to them in a special way that you'll never leave them or forsake them. And we also, uh, we pray, Father, this evening that you would help uh, those in the uh, audience to pay strict attention to what we'll be noting here this evening in the scriptures, that there would be objectivity and humility and sensitivity to what the Spirit will be saying to us this evening. We pray that the Spirit would work mightily and powerfully in and through your people in the audience. And we also pray that you would help the communicator to deliver your full counsel to your people so that they would receive their necessary spiritual nourishment so that they can go for, uh, continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We also pray that you would uh, help Trent up there this evening and give him uh, wisdom in running all the various technology up there. And we just pray, Father, that as a result of this Bible class, we grow stronger in our faith and become more and more intimate with you and be more obedient. So we pray for these things in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So if you haven't turned there already, turn to Romans 15.7. Romans 15.7, again, just a reminder, right after class, after a couple of minutes of, class, after a couple of, minutes after the service is over, uh, after the closing prayer, we'll have our prayer meeting. And so, of course, everybody's invited. That's our corporate meeting every Wednesday evening after service. All right, this evening we're going to complete our study, as I noted before, of Romans 15, verses 8 and 9, which teaches us, that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision, i.e. the Jews, because of the Father's faithfulness in order to fulfill the promises to the patriarchs of Israel so that the Gentiles glorify the Father because of his mercy, or we could say his grace. So God did, by, uh, by sending his Son into the world to become a human being, and he became a servant to the Jews. He became, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Mark 10.45, Philippians 2, 6 through 8, teaches us that Jesus Christ is a servant. John chapter 13 spoke of the servanthood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He came to, as a servant to the Jews. And by serving the Jews, he was demonstrating God's faithfulness to his promises that he gave to their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, of course, those blessings that were given, uh, promises given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the, the forefathers of the Jewish race, were also included, those promises that God gave them, included blessings for the Gentiles, that the Gentiles would be pro were promised salvation as well, along with the Jews. So we see that when Christ became a human being and died for the sins of the world and served the Jews, he was also not only fulfilling the promises to the patriarchs, but also at the same time, he was also uh, uh, allowing the Jews or the Gentiles an opportunity through the offer of salvation to glorify the Father because of his grace, his mercy. So again, this is a, a fantastic uh, thing we're learning here. Romans 15, and uh, actually Romans chapter 1 verses 16 all the way to Romans 15, 13 give Paul's presentation of the gospel which the, the Roman believers were quite familiar with as we see in Romans 15, 14. So this is something that we're seeing God, what God's doing in the world today. What he was doing in the days of Paul is no, is no different than what he's doing today in the sense that he's calling out both Jew and Gentile with, through the gospel. So this is telling us as a ministry, it has application for us as a ministry, we're seeing the, getting insight into Paul and his attitude toward the human race. This should be our attitude toward the human race as well. Uh, Paul, and he had a lot of fellow workers, co-workers in the gospel who did a lot of things to help him get the, the communicate the word of God, who provided for him uh, financially, materially, friendship-wise, fellowship-wise. 
And uh, he considered himself a part of a team. He had a lot of individuals that helped him to evangelize the Roman Empire. And when we get later into Romans 15, it was absolutely astounding the ground that Paul covered in the days of the Roman Empire in the first century when they had what we call primitive transportation to what we have today. He evangelized the entire Mediterranean region all the way from Jerusalem to Illyricum, way up in the north of, uh, of Italy, in the northwestern part, right above uh, uh, Gaul. So we see this guy covered a lot of ground in his people, and it showed you the teamwork involved in getting the gospel out, in this attitude of the Apostle Paul, that he wanted, out of his love for the Lord and his love for people, everybody to hear about Jesus Christ. And that should be our attitude as well. That's why everything you give, your time, talent, and treasure, and praying for this ministry, I hope you pray for this ministry. When you do that, you're contributing to uh, our job here. The thing I'm trying to do is get the gospel out. You're contributing to that. You're taking part in that ministry. Paul talked about this kind of thing to the Philippians in Philippians 1.7. So you really don't understand. I ho- I'm praying that more and more of you learn what, what the impact that you're making in different parts of this world. You know, we have publications. We have... We have a, a website that people, never in the history of the world, can people from all around the globe, 24-7, can take in the word of God from a, a little website with a click of a mouse. And we're getting people from Africa that are ordering our material. And you and, and I, I should bring in more of these, uh, I try to do it from time to time, bring in some of the, the, the things that they say to us. And they're not just directed to, to me, but they're directed to us. And I, I, give the, I convey these things to you people so it give you encouragement. But these people are so very thankful, especially these people who are poor in Africa who couldn't afford 20 bucks to buy a Christian book in, in, or a Bible in, uh, in, in, uh, in, in Africa. They don't have these things and because they don't, they're poor. And yet they can get this stuff free of charge over here in America through our ministry. And there's not just Africa. It's all over the Philippines uh, from, uh, I don't know, Barbara, you know, because you, you and Don, you guys ship all this stuff out. There's a t- all around the world. So you're making an impact. Plus, you get the people hitting the website that are anonymous to us. I don't know exactly ex- the individuals who are on the website. I know some that do go there, but there are many I don't know. And they're following along with the teaching of this ministry. So every time you show up to hear the... Because t- if there was no one here, I couldn't teach. So there would be no one to teach. So you're, you're responsible for these people like the Fletchers and the Wool, uh, Wool, uh, uh, John Woodford and these people who listen on Pal Talk and go to our website. You guys in the chapel are the ones, in the, in the ones that are dumping your money into this ministry and serving in this ministry in different areas. You're the one who's responsible for these people who are in other parts of the world in this country to get this kind of teaching. Because if it wasn't for you showing up and supporting the ministry through your attendance and giving to this ministry your time, talent, and your treasure, your finances, uh, these people wouldn't get this stuff free of charge. So this is something, it's a great privilege that we have. This is an absolutely phenomenal thing that we are actually have the greatest message in the history of the world. I always tell myself this, and you know what? It, it, uh, to encourage myself... And I, I read a lot of different things, but the attitude toward, let's just take with pastors, the attitude toward, because of the teller evangelists, there's a lot of bad attitudes toward pastors. It used to be in this country, they were revered. They were shown a, a ton of respect, and they were usually the richest people in the neighborhood, if you learn, look at history in our country. When our country first started, there was the pastor who was the most well-read, most educated, and he was the most respected in society. But with the teller evangelists and all this other uh, impropriety by people in the, in, the, uh, in the clergy, there's been a bad attitude toward pastors. But that never used to be the case. They were considered very, very important. And so we see that... You know, I always remind myself, regardless I ignore that other stuff, the negativity about pastors, I always remind myself that I have the greatest job in the history of the world, is what I'm getting at. There's nothing better that you could want to do. There's nothing more important that you could want to do in life. People talk about the President of the United States' important job. No, it's not. The most important job in the country, in the world, is the someone who's teaching the Word of God. And who's part, and you guys who are helping me communicate the Word of God, get the Word of God out, are involved in that ministry. And this is what Paul's attitude was toward people who help him get the Word of God out and, and uh, provided for his ministry. So this is the greatest thing that we get going because 
We have the greatest message. The Republicans, the Democrats, the Independents, Ron Paul, though I don't mind him. But there, there are a lot of people that have there's all these messages that are floating around in the world, in the stratosphere, in the, in the, in the, but nothing compares to the gospel message that we have. Because we, we have the message that can provide salvation for the sinner. Nobody else has that message. Not the Buddhist, not the, not, no atheist, there's no religion, not, not Islam. They cannot provide salvation for the soul. They cannot. They cannot save us from our sins. The gospel message can. It's the power of God for salvation. And the world, the world, it's foolishness to them. Of course it would be they're deceived by the devil. But we need to proclaim it to every creature on this earth. Children, men, women, black, white, the one who's got AIDS, the one who's got problems, who's a, a, a sexual deviant, the child molester, the sky, the woman who's in prison, the drug addict, all of the alcoholic. Everybody needs to hear the gospel because what's going to solve their problem with sin is the gospel. That is the most important thing that you guys have. Is that you're, you're, You've got a gold mine here. Not because I'm here. But because of what's being taught here, it's the gospel. It's the gospel. That's the power of God for salvation. And this is something that this, this chapter is going to, we're going to start seeing things about the gospel. And we, you know, what God's doing with the gospel in the world today. God is doing a work and we are taking part in it as we take part in this ministry. And so this is something exciting. This is more exciting than baseball, watching a ball game, watching Pam Anderson dancing with the stars, which I thought was extremely exciting for me. I, I don't even watch the show anymore since she got knocked off. I think it was a conspiracy by uh, certain uh, women, in, and I won't mention who they were. I can identify for them later. If you want, you can ask me later, Garrett. But it, we see that, that, that there's nothing more exciting than the teaching the Word of God and to hear the Word of God and to get it out there. Because you're expecting... The history of the world. You're making an impact. What well, was that Mother's Day? That song that Stephen Curtis Chapman uh, wrote for his, uh, for his wife. Uh, you were changing the world. You were changing the world. Well, you know what? You, the Christian, who's active in a gospel ministry like this, and there are others, tons of them around the world in this country, like ours. And so you are changing the world. And one day when you stand before Christ... And you don't, and you, and you were faithful. You were faithful to this ministry. Went into good times and bad times. You're going to find out you're going to get rewards that are just going to blow you away. Because it would be like that song we sing sometimes for the offering. Thank you. Thank you for giving to the Lord. Well, you know, that, that kid that you gave the gospel to in the prep school, that kid got saved. Who knows? He might be the next Billy Graham. Or the next Bill Wenstrom. I'm <laughs> just kidding. I just had to throw that in there. But you know, he could be the next, you know, he could, who, he could be the next Louis Sperry Schaefer who find, f- founds the next big uh, uh, seminary. Uh, I mean, who knows who you could be leading that would be affecting, that it's going to affect the course of history. I mean, there's, there's so many things that we, we don't understand everything. But you can count on this. It says in Isaiah, well, when you get the word of God, it's like a seed. When you throw the seed of the word of God out, it never comes back to you empty-handed. And down the road, down the road, down the road from, the, from this time, we planted a lot of seeds, all right? Eventually, it's going to come back to us because we planted a lot of seeds here. And it's a good thing. And, you know, no matter what, whatever God's given to us, with God's power, we can do anything. We could, we could, if, and, and we don't need, we don't need millions of people, though it would be nice, but what is nice is that we have God's power, the Holy Spirit, we have the message that can change lives. And that is the message that teenagers need to hear today. That is the message that we have. That, and I'm even thinking about that at some point, I don't even know, maybe having like a, do the work of an evangelist. I'd like to have somebody that God raises up that's an evangelist. But I would like myself have like one of those tent meetings. Not with the signs and wonders and everything. I want to have Don come out there, you know, and healing people and doing his Benny Hinn. But no, it would be, it'd be getting the gospel message out and inviting people. It doesn't have to be a tent meeting. But the big thing is, if they won't come to us, we'll go to them, is what we're going to do. So we need to, we, 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 what we see here is Paul is, is trying to get his, uh, his, trying to get his readers uh, to, to give them some insight 
and, and, and here in Romans 15, verses 8 and 9. So in Romans 15, 8 and 9, Paul teaches us that Christ has become a servant to the, the Jews because of the Father's faithfulness in order to fulfill the promises to the patriarchs of Israel so that the Gentiles glorify the Father because of his grace. Now this evening, for the rest of the service, we're going to study the last, ha- last statement in Romans 15, 9, which is a quotation from Psalm 18, 49 that supports his teaching that God's redemptive purpose through his son includes the Jews as well as the Gentiles. Remember, the Jews thought that you could only get to heaven circumcision. You had to be you had to become a Jew. You had to get that's why the Judaizers was always telling people the Gentiles, you have to get circumcised. You have to keep the law to get to heaven. That's a bunch of baloney. And the Jews thought because they were given the Old Testament scriptures, that they were given circumcision, that the Messiah was promised to come through them, the Jews, and that they had all these privileges, the promises, the covenants, the temple worship, as we studied in Romans 9, 1 through 5. All those things, they thought that they merited those things. It was given to them by grace. They didn't merit anything. You're saved through faith alone and Christ alone. So the Jews had a heart, needed to learn that God's redemptive purpose through his son, includes both the, not only the Jews, but also the Gentiles. And as we're going to see in Romans 15, uh, 9, the second statement in Romans 15, 9, as well as in verses 10, 11, and 12, the Old Testament scriptures, their very own Old Testament scriptures, told the Jews that salvation would be offered to the Gentiles. And God wants both Jew and Gentile to worship him. Now look at Romans 15, 7. Therefore accept one another, not just as, but because, it's causal, the word kathos, because Christ also accepted us. So you get along with each other, accept each other, have fellowship with each other, because Christ accepted you and his family, both uh, both weak and strong, Jew and Gentile. Then he says, to the glory of God, accept one another, Operate in love and you'll glorify God, meaning you'll manifest his character and nature, i.e. his love. Then he says, he explains his statement there, Christ also accepted us. In verse 8, he explains it. For I say that Christ has become a servant of the circumcision, a title for the Jews, on behalf of the truth of God, or we could say because of God's faithfulness, in order to confirm the promises given to the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who we studied in the book of Genesis. And for the Gentiles, that, the next statement in verse 9 is connected to that, that, that statement in verse 8. And for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy or because of his grace policy. Then to support that, he uses Old Testament scripture. He's not, blowing, he's not taking this out of the top of his hat. He's quoting chapter and verse. That's why I give chapter and verse and go back to the original languages. It's not what I'm, my opinion that matters. It's The scriptures that matter. And that's what Paul did. So he goes to the scriptures, the sword of the spirit. Then he says, as it is written, therefore I will give praise to you among the Gentiles and I will sing to your name. That's Jesus Christ talking to the Father, as we'll see. Verse 10, again he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. And again, Isaiah says, There shall come the root of Jesse. That's talking about Jesus Christ, that he is a descendant of King David, whose father was Jesse. And he who arises, Christ, to rule over the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles hope or have confidence. And that's being fulfilled right now through you and me. If you're a Gentile, I don't think there's any Jews in here. I don't see anybody with any, uh, you know, uh, talking with the name Saul around here or anything. But you and I are Gentiles. And that's being fulfilled right now as we speak. We're the one who, we praise him. We, we sing praises to him. We have confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah. Absolutely. Now, in Romans 15, 9, the B part. When I say B, that's the second statement in the, in the verse. There's two statements in the verses we can see. In the second statement in Romans 15, 9, Paul introduces a series of four Old Testament quotations, which all mention the Gentiles. And the first three speak of the praise of God. The second quotation in Romans 15.10, which we just read, was from Deuteronomy 32.43, and that links the Gentiles and Jews together in the praise of God. While the fourth quotation from Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10, teaches that the Gentiles' confidence in God is based upon the Jewish Messiah. Now, we see that, therefore, the quotations here 
are employed by Paul to support his teaching and Romans 15, 8 and the first statement in verse 9 that God's redemptive purpose through his son includes both the Jews and the Gentiles. That is the game plan, as I try to mention in the first few, uh, t- first 10, 15 minutes of this service, that is God's game plan for our church and every church that calls it self-Christian and is Bible-based. That, what is the plan of God for your life and my life individually? To grow up to become like Christ. Therefore, all of our prayers, all of our decisions are based, or should be, factor that into mind. Keep that in mind. You should always factor that in. Whatever prayers, whatever decisions you make in life, family, personal, business-wise, job-wise, always remember, how is that going to affect my uh, growing to become like Jesus Christ? The second one is corporate. The second one is corporate. As a church, and as the local assembly we have, and as Christians throughout the world, universal, whether, whether you're, whatever your denomination or lack of denomination, our goal is to get the gospel out, to present God's redemptive purpose through his son that it includes both Jew and Gentiles. We're, supposed, we're to go to them, both Jew and Gentile. That is what this passage is teaching us by way of implication. Now, the apostle cites from... It's interesting what he does here. He cites from each of the three main divisions of the Old Testament. In verses... uh, That second statement in verse 9, verse 10, 11, and 12, he's citing from each of the three major divisions of the Old Testament. For instance, he quotes from the writings. There was the law, the prophets, and the writings. Sometimes Early on, sometimes they divided it into laws and law and the prophets. Or sometimes it was the law, the prophets, and the writings. Or sometimes they said Moses and the prophets and the writings. But either way you slice it, they had basically had a threefold division. Now that's the way the Jews today and most Christian scholars divide the Old Testament. So here in Romans 15, 9 through 12, Paul's quoting from the three, the three major divisions from the Old Testament. In verse 9, the B part, in verse 11, he's quoting from the law. In verse 10, uh, he quotes from the writings in verses uh, verses 9 and 11, the law in verse 10, and the prophets in verse 12 to demonstrate that the inclusion of the Gentiles with the Jews in praising God is a part of God's plan of salvation. And thus the offer of salvation is universal to everyone, not just the people you like or the race you like, because there's been racial bigotry in this country where the, there are actually people, white supremacists, and not even back in the 50s and 60s and earlier on, who thought the black, black race was under a curse. Oh, they come from Ham, and they were under the curse. Cursed would be Cain and all that. And they, miss, they totally take scripture out of context. But there was that kind of racial bigotry. The gospel says there's no racial bigotry. There shall be none for a Christian. We get the gospel out to everybody. doesn't matter who they are. Every soul is important to God because every soul was created in the image of God. And though that soul's been marred by sin, God still thinks it's important enough that they receive this offer of salvation. We know how he thinks about each one of us in the human race because he sent his son to the cross for each one of us. He shows his love for us. The gospel is telling everybody about God's love and compassion. It's talking about God's character and nature. Not only, it's the good news. The word gospel comes from a term that means good news. It was a victorious proclamation. The term gospel was, in the Greek, was used in Rome. In the Greeks, they used to use it for generals who won a great victory on the battlefield. And it was called the good news. And they'd have a guy who was a runner and he would run and he would tell all the different surrounding villages and cities about the great victory that the emperor had or this particular general, Roman general had or a Greek general had or Alexander the Great. And they would broadcast. There was a victorious proclamation. It was the gospel, the good news. The Christians took it and elevated it with Paul and the, and the, the evangelists, with uh, uh, the, Matthew, Mark and Luke and John they, and Paul. They, they elevated the term because now they applied that term gospel, good news, to the offer of salvation and what Christ has done for us at the cross with his death and resurrection and the offer of salvation, the offer of forgiveness of sins. That is manifesting the love of God. It's manifesting who God is. So people say, oh, how could God do this and how could God do that? Hey, blame the devil. People always try to do this. Don't, don't back up. Don't backpedal. 
You can backpedal if you like Muhammad Ali and hit him, knock him out while you're backpedaling. But you can, what you need to do is say, wait a minute, the devil, the Bible teaches, is the God of this world. You can blame him and us creatures. If everybody obeyed God's will, there'd be no problems. But because we're all free moral agents and we make negative decisions toward God, we create these problems that the world has. We're to blame and the devil is to blame for the mess that we're in. Not God. God came to heal it. God came to give us peace. He sent his son to the cross. So God cares. God loves. In fact, God knows our weaknesses. His son became a human being. His son became a human being so that he could be our sympathetic high priest. He knows the human condition. He's experienced it. The second member of the Trinity has, yet without sin. So Paul here in Romans 12, excuse me, Romans 15, verses 9 through 12, he quotes from the writings in verses 9 and 11, the law in verse 10, and the prophets in verse 12, to demonstrate that the inclusion of the Gentiles with the Jews in praising God is a part of God's plan of salvation, and thus the offer of salvation is universal. Hold your place. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, uh, verse 1, please. Ephesians 2, 1. Look at Ephesians 2, 1. Paul's addressing primarily Gentile Christians here, as we'll see in a moment. But look at what he says in verse 1, Ephesians 2, 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, spiritually dead, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. The world there means the, the system, the world system that's against the Bible, against Christ. According to the prince of the power of the air, of course, that's the devil. Of the spirit that's now working in the sons of disobedience, a tile for the unsaved. Among them, the sons of disobedience, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, our sin nature. We lived, we used to be, we used to come, that's all we did was, think of the unsaved people in your life, and that's exactly what we used to do. And God's calling out from us from out that, from that kind of lifestyle to live godly lifestyles that bring glory to him. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh, and of the mind, and television, uh, you, what, what is it, pornography, all that stuff, they in, try to in, indulge the sin nature. They want you to indulge the sin nature is the message. And we're by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. And I love this. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And he raised us up with him. And he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's who you are in Christ. That's who you and I are in Christ. You're seated at the right hand of the Father. So that in the ages to come, why did he do this? So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, not on your own merit, it's the gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Now look what he says. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Then he says in verse 11, Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, the Jews, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you Gentile believers were at that time, prior to salvation, separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off from God have been brought near by the blood of Christ, his death. For he himself, Christ, is our peace, who made both groups into one, and he broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. He's alluding to the dividing wall, the barrier of the dividing wall. In the Herodian temple, which stood in, days of, in the days of Paul and our Lord, there was a barrier, there was a court for the Gentiles. They couldn't go past the court of the Gentiles where the Jews worshipped God. They were prohibited from. In fact, Paul was accused of bringing a Gentile into the, the Jewish section of the temple and they, this, they tried to kill him. 
He didn't do that, of course. But there's actually a sign, an inscription they unearthed in, uh, in Jerusalem that there's a, that it has a, it's a plaque and it actually they have it today. I have a picture of it somewhere. So what he's alluding to is that that barrier has been broken down. God wants Jew and Gentile worshiping him together. So he says, For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh. When he talks about flesh there, he's talking about his human nature there in that context. The enmity, what's that? He tells us. Which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances. The law condemned us because we couldn't keep it perfectly. So that in himself, Christ, he might make the two, Jew and Gentile, into one new man or new humanity. The old humanity... The old human race under the headship of Adam, and we studied this in Romans 5, 12 through 21, the old humanity, which we used to be a part of prior to conversion to Christianity, God's replacing it, doing away, in fact, he crucified it at the cross. He's making a new humanity through his son, Jesus Christ. And we're part of that new humanity, composed of both Jew and Gentile. This is what God's doing in our world today. By, verse 15, by abolishing in his flesh the enmity which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so that in himself he might make the two into one new man thus establishing peace and might reconcile them both, Jew and Gentile, in one body, the body of Christ, to God through the cross by it having put to death the enmity. And he, Christ, came and preached peace to you who were far away, the Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, the Jews." They were near because they had the, the covenants of promise. The forefathers of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they received those promises. They had the law they were given. They were given the temple worship. The Messiah would come through them. So they were near to God. Look at verse 18. For through him, Christ, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are now fellow citizens with the saints, and you are of God's household. That's the greatest thing to hear, isn't it? We're part of God's household. We're, that means we're God's responsibility. He's our Father. Then he says in verse 20, This has been having built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, their teaching, now in the New Testament, Christ Jesus himself, his teaching, which is in the Gospels, being the chief cornerstone, in whom Christ Jesus, the whole building, being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. You and I are a temple, Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 6.19, we're a temple of the Holy Spirit. We're, a te- we're God's going to live among his people and he's doing it now as we speak, as we're actually speaking this message. The Holy Spirit doesn't dwell in a big temple anymore. He dwells in his people. That's astounding. Both Jew and Gentile. Look at verse 22. In whom, Christ the Lord, you are also being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit, by the Spirit's work. What a, what a wonderful thing we have going there. Now, go back to Romans 15. Look at Romans 15, verse 9 again. Hopefully you held your place. Romans 15, 9. And for the gent, he says, oh, actually look at verse 8. For I say that Christ has become a servant of the circumcision, the Jews, on behalf of the truth of God, the faithfulness of God, to confirm the promises to the fathers and for the, gen, uh, for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy as it is written, therefore I will give praise to you among the Gentiles and I will sing praise to your name. And again he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people, the Jews. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. And again Isaiah says, there shall come the root of Jesse and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles in him, Christ, shall the Gentiles have hope. Now, the first quotation that appears in Romans 15.9 is all, almost an exact translation from the Septuagint translation of Psalm 17.50, which in our English Bibles is Psalm 18.49. For those of you who don't know, the Septuagint was the Bible of the first century church. Okay, It's the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. It came together through 70 Jewish scholars in approximately 300 B.C. in the city of Alexandria, Alexandria in Egypt, great center of learning in the ancient world. That was the, new, that was the first century church. They didn't speak Hebrew. They didn't know the Hebrew Old Testament scriptures. They, went, they had their Bible, was the, Greek, was the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, their Old Testament, the early first century. That's why you see Paul and the apostles 
quoting from it. That's the first sentence. Paul, of course, could read the Hebrew, and a lot of them could, but not, not, the, not the Gentiles. They didn't, they didn't know Hebrew, and they knew Greek. So that was their Bible in the first century, the, the Old Testament Bible, uh, the Septuagint for the first century early church. Now, Paul's attributing the quotation to Christ here and, uh, and, uh, in, Psalm, uh, in Psalms uh, 1849. He's attributing the quotation to Christ. It's interesting. In other words, the quotation is messianic. I mean, it's a prophecy about Jesus Christ here. Though David is speaking about praising God himself among the Gentiles as a result of his victories over the heathen during his lifetime, it's Christ is where uh, Paul's attributing this uh, particular quotation to. Now, it also speaks of David again, praising God among the Gentiles during Christ's millennial reign. So if you look at the verse, it says, uh, Therefore, I will give praise to you among the Gentiles, and I will sing to your name. David originally wrote that, okay, for himself, expressing his love for the Lord. It's a prophecy also. We see this in the Old Testament all the time. David is a type of Christ. And David, a lot of his Psalms, are though he might have spoken them himself to, in regards to his own situation, this is a phenomenon of Old Testament scripture, though he was writing about his own situation, he was actually putting, uh, he was actually saying the very words that Christ will say during his millennial reign when he's in the midst of us Gentiles and worshiping and singing praises to the Father for us, along with the Jewish believers. It's going to be an awesome scene in the millennial reign. Wait till we get there. Now, so the words here, quoted from Psalm 1750 of the Septuagint, are attributed to Christ, to, uh, are attributed to Christ himself, and they portray, this scripture portrays him as giving praise to the Father among the Gentiles when the Gentiles praise the Father through him. Thus, David is a type of Christ here in this psalm. Therefore, all of these, all of these Old Testament quotations that appear in Romans 15, verses 9 through 12, are designed to teach the weak Christian, who's primarily Jewish, to welcome into fellowship with themselves their strong brother in Christ, who is primarily Gentile. The weak and the strong should welcome each other because both will be praising the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ for their so great salvation. Welcome one another. He says that in Romans 15, 7. Why? Because that's your destiny is to worship God together. Okay? You're going to worship God together in the end. Get used to it. Do it now. And they were already doing it as we saw in Romans 15, 14 and 15. Now it says, as it is written, Romans 15, 9, he says, as it is written, therefore I will give praise to you among the Gentiles and I will sing to your name. As it is written, is used quite a bit by Paul as we've seen in the past. It introduces an Old Testament passage, namely the Septuagint translation of Psalm 17, 50. And that uh, scripture reference supports his previous statement that appears in Romans 15, verses 8 and 9, the first statement in verse 9. It emphasizes that this Psalm 1750 in the Septuagint, which is Psalm 1849 in our English Bibles, is applicable to Paul's readers, who are weak and primarily Jewish. This Psalm teaches the weak to accept the strong, who are primarily Gentile, and for the strong to accept the weak, because it was through the Jewish Messiah that these Gentile believers, you and I, like you and I, receive salvation. Remember this. If the Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ, is going to praise the Father while he's in the midst of us Gentile believers during his millennial reign, then the weak believer, who are primarily Jewish, must accept the strong. And the strong, the weak, since they received eternal salvation through faith in the Jewish Messiah. Now we have the, phrase, the word therefore. It's actually a couple of words in the, in the Greek. He says, therefore, I will give praise to you among the Gentiles and I will sing to your name. Therefore is two words. We have the preposition thea and it's followed by the accusative form of the demonstrative pronoun, pronoun utos. Utos, excuse me. Now this word dia, thea, translated because of, uh, with the accusative form of utos, functions as a marker of cause, denoting the basis or the reason for Christ praising the Father uh, among the Gentiles. Now, the, the, the demonstrative pronoun translated this is anaphoric. That means it's referring to the preceding statement in Romans 15, 8, and the first statement in verse 9. Therefore, what does this all mean to us? This phrase, therefore. It indicates that Christ will praise the Father among the regenerate born-again Gentiles during his millennial reign because of the Father's faithfulness and fulfilling through him 
the covenant promises to the patriarchs of Israel so that the Gentiles glorify the Father because of his grace policy towards them. I will give praise is the word ex omolo yao, omolo yao, and that means to give praise. It's used of the Lord Jesus Christ as its subject and God the Father as its object. Think about this. Think about this. When you put your head on the pillow tonight, God, Jesus Christ, right now, thanks, thanks the Father for you and me. He thanks the Father for you and me, all believers. He's going to do that during his millennial reign. As I've been telling you in the millennial, study of the millennial reign in the Day of the Lord series, it's going to be, a, a, it's, a, it's actually where the wedding supper is going to be. The wedding of the Christ and his bride, us, is in heaven. Roman, uh, Revelation 19, 1-7. The Jewish, then they, then they had the reception. Well, the reception is going to be the millennial reign, people. All right? And it's going to be wines, the, great, the greatest wine that this world has ever seen. You have never tasted Lafitte Rothschild, which I've tasted, doesn't compare to the wine that's going to be, they're going to drink, what we're going to drink in the millennial reign. So this is Jesus Christ gives praise. This is saying that Jesus Christ himself gives praise to the Father for, for, for us. To you is the word ego. It's the personal pronoun. It refers, to, of course, to the Father. Since the Son came to glorify the Father, and Christ is portrayed in this psalm as praising the Father among regenerate Gentiles during his millennial reign. Among the Gentiles indicates that during his millennial reign, Christ will stand in the midst of us regenerate Gentiles and praise the Father, not only for us, but, uh, but also for the Father, for his faithfulness, and fulfilling through him the covenant promises to the patriarchs of Israel, so that we Gentiles glorify the Father because of his grace policy towards us. We read about in Ephesians 2, about God's grace. Grace means you don't earn it or deserve it. Grace is a gift. Salvation is a gift. Unmerited blessings given to us. You and I need to now, if we're not already, thanking God and praising God for that that you're experiencing now, a relationship with God. And even if you die tonight or tomorrow, you know that you're going to be with him forever because of grace. They've written millions and millions of songs about it. And they're going to continue to write millions of songs about it on into eternity, all about God's grace. And you and I, the party should start now, our, as far as our rejoicing and giving thanks to him. That, is, should, begin, that should begin now. Because when we do that, remember we saw in Romans 14, 17, the kingdom of God manifests itself with what? Righteousness, peace, and joy. And when we're having peace with each other, and when we're rejoicing with each other, and when we're doing right by each other, operating in love, we're manifesting the kingdom of God now on earth. Well, of course, it won't be established permanently until Christ comes back at his second advent. Then, I love this, it tells us that Jesus Christ sings. And uh, it says in Romans fifteen nine, And for the Gentiles, he says, to glorify God for his mercy, as it is written... Therefore, I will give praise to you, Father. I, Jesus Christ, will give praise to you, Father, among the Gentiles, us. And then he says, I will sing to your name. What does that mean? I will sing is the verb, uh, salo, which means to sing praises. It's used here with the Lord Jesus Christ as its subject, of course, and the Father's character and nature as its object. The word, your, the phrase, your name, is the word onoma. And then with it, we have the personal pronoun C, which is translated yar in your Bibles. Now, the word onoma is a great word. It refers to God's character and nature, the character and nature of his person. So Jesus Christ is saying in the psalm there, I will give praise to you, Father, among the Gentiles, and I will sing your praises. I will sing to your person. I'll sing of your character and nature. And what is that? What, is, what, what about God's character and nature have we learned in Romans 15, 8, and 9? Well, we're going to talk about it. We're going to, he's going to sing about the attributes of God's person, namely his faithfulness. He keeps his promises and his grace policy that we're all under. We're under grace. We're not under the law. We're free. We have freedom in Christ. Not to do whatever we want, but to free to serve him and to love him and to obey him. And that's where true blessing and joy is not indulging the desires of the sin nature. 
So to summarize, let's wrap this up and then we'll have our take a few, a few minute break and then our prayer meeting for those who, are, who uh, feel led to. Hopefully you're all led to. to. To summarize, the Apostle Paul in Romans 15 verses 8 and 9 uh, teaches that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision, the Jews, because of the Father's faithfulness in order to fulfill the promises to the patriarchs of Israel so that us Gentiles glorify the Father because of his grace policy. And then, and as we saw this evening, in the B part, the second statement of Romans 15, 9, Paul cites Psalm 18, 49 to support his affirmation that the Father's redemptive purpose through his Son includes Gentiles along with the Jews. Thank God it does, because I'm a Gentile, right? I'm not a Jew. Thank God he, he loves all men, not, the, not just the Jewish people. He loves all men and women. So let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. We thank you for everyone here this evening and help the, the people here to understand what they have been taught and that they would be encouraged, instructed in righteousness, rebuked if necessary, and help us, Father, to grow in your grace through this message. We pray that it would take root in your people and through the power of the Spirit, it would bring, bear forth fruit. And we just uh, pray that you would uh, guide the uh, prayer meeting after and we also pray that you would guide the fellowship after through the power of the Spirit do this. And also give us traveling mercies on the way home for those of us in the chapel. In our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ's name we pray, Father. Amen.